Good morning. It is a joy to be together this morning to worship God together. The cry of the human heart is to be loved, especially a father's love. If you visit prisons today or inner cities or outer cities, rural communities, and you, f- you find people that do that have not experienced a father's love and there's not a father figure in their life, they are, for the most part, suffering tremendously because of that. There's just something that's really missing. There's something special about a mother's love as well, but a, a father's love, when that is, is missing, it's people struggle with that, and it's, a, in a sense, a, a handicap for them in life. So we, we see that. We see that and understand that in the physical world, But it's also true in the spiritual world. There's two spiritual fathers. God, our father, is a spiritual father. And then there's also an imposter, which is Satan. And God and Jesus himself referred to him as the father of lies. And he he told some of the people there that he's he's your father. If if you don't have a relationship with God, you you have a father. And it is Satan himself. So there's two spiritual fathers. And Satan will not fill the void that only God can fill. And so in a spiritual sense, everybody in the world either knows God as their Savior or else they long for that spiritual relationship with their creator, with our eternal God. One year ago tomorrow, I discovered when I looked back in my records, was when I shared a message here at Myerstown And the title was, Why Does Satan Hate Us? And when I shared that message, I also said that to balance this, I really need to bring a message sometime on why does God love us? To balance, why does Satan hate us? And so I went to title the message and started studying, and and I just could not go with the title, Why Does God Love Us? I had to add to it. And it's, Why Does God Love Us So Much? Because as believers, we know and we understand that you, we start thinking about the, the love that God has for us. And it's a, it's a subject that I can't cover this morning. It's so big. It's so huge. And there's so many things we could talk about. But this morning, we want to think about why does God love us so much? And go to Genesis chapter 22 with me. Just look at a few verses here in a very familiar account where we have Abraham... Asking to, was asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. In Genesis chapter 22, uh, in verse 2, God says to Abraham, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And I'm not going to read all the verses. We know the story, hopefully, and have read it many times. But this is, the, this is what God asked Abraham to do. And he very obediently takes Isaac, his only son, goes up on Mount Moriah. And, and they, they have there the wood for the offering. And Isaac's like, but where's the offering? And they get up there and, and uh, Abraham lays Isaac, his only son, on the altar. And those of us who are parents, we look at this and we say, how could you possibly... But he did. He laid him on the, on the altar. And verse 10 says, And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. In verse 11, And the angel of the Lord called 
uh, unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 12, and he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him for, now here, get this, this, is, this was the purpose of this. God says to Abraham, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And so God was testing Abraham to see the depth of his love. And he took the thing that was the nearest and the dearest to Abraham and said, would you put Isaac on the altar and sacrifice him there on the altar? And Abraham demonstrated that he was willing to do that because of his, the depth of love that he had for God. And so in obedience, he did that. Another important aspect of this story is that it is a type of God the Father and of Jesus Christ. God the Father is like Abraham, and Jesus Christ is like Isaac, the, the son that was, that was sacrificed. And we know that in that account that God carried through and sacrificed, allowed his, his son to be sacrificed there in Calvary, so that you and I could have life. Let's go to a very familiar verse, perhaps the most familiar verse in the Bible, uh, John 3.16. In John 3.16, the scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so here we see true love demonstrated in the new testament by god there is no there in the old testament we look at that story and we say how could abraham do this and we come to the new testament and we know what what god has done in in the in sending his son to be a sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven and the only, the only way we can look at that story is, is to understand that, there is, that God did everything he could possibly do. It, there is nothing else he could have done to prove his love for me and for you to mankind other than sacrifice his only son there on, on Calvary. So we look at that and we say, what love the Father has John 3.16, the first part of this verse is, is just simply states a very simple fact. The word world uh, means, means mankind. And for God so loved mankind that he gave his only begotten son. And the word so in Greek means in this way or in this fashion. So... Let's read the verse like this. For God, in this fashion, loved the world, or loved mankind, that he gave his only begotten son. There's nothing more that he could have done. There's, there's no other depth that God could have went to to further prove the amount of love that he has for mankind than to do what he did in sending his only begotten son. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. No greater love. There's no other way that we could prove how much we love 
when I, when I read that verse, I always think of a friend of ours who passed away many years ago, and she was, uh, she was pregnant when she discovered that she had cancer. And, of course, the medical field's like, well, we can start chemo right away if you get an abortion, but we can't do, you can't get chemo, and while you're pregnant, it'll, it'll harm the child. And she chose uh, to, of course, keep her child and wait to start chemo until after the child was born, in a sense, laying down her life for her unborn child, saying, my unborn child's life is, is most important and more important. And just a, a demonstration of love to lay down your life. Why does God love mankind so much? One of the main reasons that God loves mankind so much is the very same reason that Satan hates us so much. Imagine that. Very same reason. And that is because we're made in the image of God. And that makes Satan hate us. But on the other hand, it makes God love us. We are made in his, in his image. But there's more than that. In Genesis 2, 7, the there in the creation account, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so mankind was created by God. He took his hands and made man. Not only are we made in his image, but he did it. And we're made in the image of God, and we know and understand as humans that there's something special there's something we treasure about things that we did. You can build a house by yourself and move into it, and you will have a deeper appreciation for it than if you have the carpenter crew come and built the house for you and you stop in every few weeks and check up on it. There's just something about doing something yourself that makes it very, very special uh, when it comes time for a fellowship meal, sometimes I, I'll tease Marion and say, well, you know, you could just, you could buy this out here. And she's like, no, you, you, you want to make it. Somebody might say, that's really good. Who brought that? I was like, I made it. I did it. It didn't come from Dutchway. And so there's just, it's, there's just something about doing something ourselves. It, it's, we take a, a sense of pride in it and ownership to it. And mankind was made by the hands of God. We're his. He did it. We're, he made us in his image, but he also did it. And so he takes great pride in that. And he has a right to because he did it. He, he made us. There is a very personal connection there. It's the same way that, that we love our children. As mothers and fathers, we love our children. There's, they are ours yeah, we love other people's children too, but not in the same way we love our children because they are ours. And we take, uh, it's just a, a connection there, a, a, and it's a, a very good connection. And I believe that's a, a glimpse of the love that God has for mankind. The same way earthly parents love and cherish their children, God the Father loves mankind in the same way. But there's more. In John 3.16, uh, the rest of the verse says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
Now, this, this verse is so familiar to us, to me and to you, and it's one of the probably the most well-known verses in the Bible. But do you ever stop and think that this verse it has this big contrast in it? The first part of the verse is stating a simple fact. God loves you that much, loves mankind that much, that he gave his son. You read that and it's like, wow, that's amazing, that's wonderful. And then you look at the rest of the verse and it says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh-oh, uh-oh, there's everlasting life and there's everlasting perishing. There's something really serious about this. There's, there's two eternal destinies. And this verse brings it out that the, the difference in the destinies is is a personal choice to believe in Jesus Christ. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. God made us as creatures of choice. You know, God was quite capable of making robots. He was. He, he could have done that. He could have made you and I that way we're just, we're just like robots. We just serve him, we praise him, we sing to him, and there's no, we're, we're not creatures of choice. But he didn't do that. He made us as creatures of choice. Do you know when you take away choice, you take away the ability to love? The ability to love is rooted very deeply in, in choice. If a person doesn't have a, doesn't have a choice, neither can they love. And so it's important to, to understand that true love does not force. True love is a choice. And in John 3.16, we, we know and we understand that Adam and Eve made a terrible choice in the Garden of Eden. And because of their, the terrible choice that they made in the Garden of Eden, each one of us has suffered the consequences of their disobedience. And then we find here in John 3.16... The two destinies laid out, eternal life and eternal death. There, is, there are two roads. There's a narrow road and there's a wide road. The one leads to eternal destruction and the narrow road leads to eternal life. So when you look at John 3.16, you say, you, you read the latter part of the verse and it talks about these two eternal destinies. We could say, Whoa, wait, that, that's, really, that's really alarming. There's a group of people that are traveling towards, towards eternal destruction. And we can ask the question, why doesn't God do something? If he really loves mankind, why doesn't he do something? Well, the truth is he did something already. It's in the beginning of the verse. He did all that he could possibly do. He gave his son as a, to be a sacrifice to atone for the sin of mankind. And so he, he's done all that he could possibly do. I'd like to look at it, just take a step back, and we're, we're thinking about the question this morning, why does God love us so much? Why does he love us so much? I'd like to look at it from his perspective and see if we can, we can wrap our mind around that. In Romans 8.8, 8, the verse says, so then that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible. You cannot please God if you are living in the flesh 
and you are not spiritual. You haven't been born again. It's impossible to please God. Now we know from John 3.16, it doesn't say that, that, he, uh, that he just loves believers. No, he loves mankind. He loves the human race which he created. But when he, when he looks, at, uh, looks at people that have not chosen to serve him and they're living a life of disobedience, they haven't made that, that choice in their life, that he looks at them and they, they are not pleasing to him. And so it, it reminds me, you start thinking along those lines and right away I think of uh, the prodigal son and his father, which so vividly uh, I think helps us to understand that. And people that are, are dead in their sins are loved by God, but they bring them no pleasure. There's no personal relationship there. Let's go to, to Luke chapter 15 briefly and just look at a couple of verses there. The prodigal father and, and his... The prodigal's father is, I believe, a picture of God. And again, we know the story. I'm not going to take the time to to read it all, but the, the prodigal son made a, a terrible decision in his life and went to his father and asked for his inheritance, and he said, I'm, I'm going to leave, and we can only imagine that the father was, was very unpleased with that. But again, love does, not, love does not hold. We're creatures of choice, and so the father allows him to do it, and he, le he leaves and is living a life of sin and ends up wasting his money and ends up on a hog farm tending hogs when he finally comes to himself. And we discover that in, uh, in verse, let's look at verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen in, of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? And now he makes a wise choice. In verse 18 he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no worthy to be called thy son, Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now we have one of the most glorious pictures in scripture. It says in verse 20, But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And then the son goes on confessing his, his sin, and making against God and against his father, making things right with his father. But in this picture, it helps me to understand the love that God the Father has for mankind. He has, for we were all born with, this, with the sin nature, and prior to making a choice to give our hearts and our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, prior to that, yes, God loves us. Yes, God loves the human race. He made them. They're made in his image, every one of us, made in his image. But before a person makes a choice to serve him, there's no personal relationship. He takes, he takes no joy from their lives. He is very disappointed. 
he is probably uh, horrified at the road that they're traveling on. And he looks very sadly at their lives, but loves them, as did the prodigal's father. He loved them. This scripture makes us, if you just look at these verses, it it gives me the picture that uh, the father runs and meets the son before he even gets to the house. So he must have been looking and longing for his son to come back. And I believe that's the same way that God our Father today is just looking and longing, has his ear open for somebody to pray the sinner's prayer, to come back to him and establish a relationship with him. And so he, that is what God the Father is, is looking at and experiencing uh, on a daily basis as he observes his creation, mankind. And there's a verse in Romans 8, 8 that says, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I already read that. People dead in their sins are loved by God, but bring him no pleasure. And I think we can understand this. Did you ever think about when you, you uh, so, so you're at the mall, you're shopping. I guess there are no malls anymore. I don't know what there are. When, if you go shopping and you're, you're around a lot of people, and you look at people that you don't know, and we'd say, well, we, we love them. We love people. We don't hate people. We, we love people. But there's zero relationship there. You really don't know them. There's nothing there other than they're made in God's image. We know God made them, and so we love them. But it's a very limited thing. And I believe that's how it is when, when God looks at unregenerate mankind. He loves them, but it's void of a personal relationship. And so it's, it's nothing compared to after a person makes a choice and comes to uh, give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we see the, the father longing and looking for his son to return. And then we see the acceptance of the father, and it's so amazing. In uh, verse 22... But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring in his hand and shoes in his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. All the acceptance, the acceptance of God accepting one of his children that that makes a choice to love him. The prodigal made a choice. I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask for my father's forgiveness, God's forgiveness. And immediately, before the son could even get it all out of his mouth, the father's just accepting him, hugging him, and, and greeting him. And so thankful and, and, and uh, glad that, that he came home. And it's all based on the choice that the son made. And I'll guarantee you that the father could see it on the son's expression when he seen him coming in the driveway. There was, this, was, this, this was a different son returning than the one that left. And it was, he was just there. He was just so ready to, to greet him and to accept him and to love him. Sometimes, and I believe many times, unbelievers have a fear that they can come, that... God wouldn't accept me. 
God won't want me. I've, I've been so bad. I've been this. I've been that. I, I, my life's so messy. God won't want me. And that's not true. That is a lie from Satan. The truth is that anybody, anybody who, who comes uh, surrendering their lives to God will be accepted. I, different times I've heard that story, and perhaps you heard it too. Uh, to me, it's just a touching story. And I think it's actually based on an old song, uh, tie the yellow ribbon on the old oak tree. But there's a, there's a story about tying a white ribbon on an old oak tree too. And it's a story about the young man, uh, uh, it's a prodigal son maybe in modern day language. So the man leaves home and uh, goes and is living a life away from his parents and comes to himself like the prodigal did. He's on a train heading towards home and the elderly gen gentleman sitting next to him noticed that he's just all distressed and he just can't hardly live with himself. And he said, he asked him, what's wrong? You know, what, how can I help? And this young man said, well, he said, I, I've been I lived a terrible life. I've been away from home, been away from my parents, and I, I just feel horrible the way I treated them and everything. And they said, I, I, I come, to, come to realize that I was living a terrible life, and I, I want to make things right with my parents. And so I wrote him a letter, and I said, I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm coming by on the train, and the train station was really close to, the, to his home where he lived. And he said, but I'm, if you don't want me, just uh, I, I'm going to look at the oak tree in the yard. And if there's a white ribbon in the oak tree, I'm going to know that you're accepting me and I'll stop. I'm coming home. And if not, I'm going to stay in the train. I'm just going to keep going. And he said, I'm, he told this man, he said, I'm afraid to look. I'm afraid to look. I, I just am so scared. And the man said, just close your eyes. I'll look. And so they, after a while, the train comes around to turn. They're getting close to his home. And there's the tree. And the man said, open your eyes. Every branch has a white ribbon on it. The whole tree's covered in ribbons. Look, look. And he, oh, it was just wonderful. He, train station, he gets off and goes home. And he's reunited with his parents. And talk about the love of God. God is accepting of everyone. The tree is full of ribbons. Come home. I'm waiting, I'm longing for you to come home. The son had made a life-altering choice. As we think about the prodigal son, there's something else that I really, we really need to think about this morning, and it's really important. It's something that probably all of us in our minds have wondered about already, thought about, I know I have, but... The father, I'm assuming he could have found his son. I'm assuming he could have left home and he could have started asking questions and he could have discovered where his son was at. He could have went and found him on the hog farm, but he didn't do that. And you know, it's the same with God. He doesn't force, he doesn't force anybody to love him. He, he didn't, this father didn't go out there and grab the son and say, you're coming home. You're going to, look, I can help you. I, he, he didn't force him. Love does not force. We have the Holy Spirit today that brings conviction to people. We have other people who minister to people and share the gospel and plead with people to, to make wise choices. And I assume that this, this young man may have also had people speaking into his life. He had his conscience working. And 
he made the choice and he went home and the father was waiting for him and accepted him, but the father didn't come and grab him. Jesus came and gave his life there in Calvary so that mankind could be saved from, our, from sin and the awfulness of it. and We could be set free from the shackles that we find ourselves in. Jesus, Jesus threw the lifeline, if you will, out into the water, but he doesn't lasso us and pull us in. No, it's there, it's there for us to grasp and to take a hold of and find salvation and make that choice. Now, with, with the son here and in the story of the prodigal, it helps us to understand the love that God the Father has for those of us who have responded to the gospel and have come home, come back to him, making things right with God, making things right with uh, yeah, our spiritual father. Because so many things happen now. That here in the story of the prodigal, the father said, my son was dead. And now he's alive. And guess what? There was this great separation. But now he came home. Now there's a personal relationship. Now this person that I made with my own hands, that is made in my image, he has chosen to love me. That's key. He has chosen to love me. That is something that, that you... With, without that personal choice to love somebody else or to love God, there's no substitute for that. In a real love story, there's no substitute for somebody willingly making a choice to love somebody. No substitute for it. And now God the Father looks at those of us who have made that choice and he loves us in a totally different way than he loved us before. Now there's a personal relationship. Now he finds great joy. You can read, diff there's different verses in the Bible that talk about joy and pleasure that he receives from us and from our lives. And then to, to add to all of that, he also, he loves us that much that he doesn't just let us by ourselves. He wants a relationship. He, he desires a, a personal relationship. And so he, there's a big word in the Bible called sanctification. So he works with us. He sanctifies us. He, he leads us and directs us in life. Sends his, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to indwell us, to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, to direct us in life. And we become more and more and more like Jesus the longer we serve him and live for him and as that happens the more more and more God's love is for us and ours for him as well as that is but any married couple that has a good relationship and a good marriage will tell you that our love continues to grow you say you know uh, it, it does it just does as we mature as we grow in our relationship with God our love continues to grow. And so it is with the believer and God. Our love for each other continues to grow. The Bible says he delights in us. Totally different. 
than the un- he, he loves the unbeliever. He loves the unregenerate person. But now the person that has made a choice, you know what? I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to love God. I'm going to become one of his children. We are adopted into his family, but it was our choice. The offer has always been there. The desire from God has always been there. But we made that choice, and we came to serve him and to love him. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to, his, according to the good pleasure of his will. Do you ever think about that? As a child of God, you, are, you bring pleasure to God. He gets pleasure from your life. And I can't help but just, just I can constantly go back to the family unit and think about the pleasure that parents get from their children. And especially the pleasure we get from obedient children compared to the pleasure we get from disobedient children. It's just there. And as, as, as our family units grow and what have you, and our children get married and leave home, we, we continue to get pleasure from their lives as we interact with them and as our relationships yet evolve in a sense and change, and yet there's great pleasure that we receive from our offspring. And it, it's, uh, it's based on choice. It's based on a personal relationship. It's also another thing that I believe that enters into this is that must bring so much pleasure to God. God has uh, made a, pl- a wonderful place called heaven. And his desire is for all of mankind to live there. That's not going to happen. But that, that would be his desire. And so in a sense that is our inheritance is waiting for us. This beautiful place. And so God the Father is there and he's looking at disobedient mankind who, who continues to live in rebellion to him. And he's like, I, got, I have this, you're not part of my family. You're not part of my kingdom. I got this, I, I made this beautiful place called heaven. There's this great inher- eternal inheritance waiting for you. And you won't accept me. And because you won't accept me, I cannot give you this inheritance. You have no part in it. And so he, he must look at that and grieve as he thinks about that. And then, but then on the other hand, those of us who have made the choice and are serving him, he looks at us with great pleasure knowing that he's caring for us now. We have this relationship now that will, uh, that will continue on through eternity and in a place that he has prepared for us, they are going to experience this beautiful place called heaven that I have made for them. And that just brings a great deal of, of delight, I believe, to, to God. God's perspective is, he looks at us and he says, he or she chose me. They chose me. They want, they, they love me. They've chosen me. And that all, the only way that that can happen is from a surrendered heart. And here in the account of the prodigal son, already read these verses about the son just surrendering his life, surrendering his heart to God, admitting where he was wrong, and coming back and reestablishing his, his relationship with the father. 
God looks at that and says, he chose me over sin. He chose life over death. He uh, applied the blood of Jesus Christ, my only begotten son that I sent into the world. He applied that to his life. I made the provisions and he took advantage of it and applied the blood to his life. And because of that, everything is so different. Why does God love us so much? Oh my, so much. He loves us so much. And he loves all of mankind. But when he looks at his children, he has so much to be thankful for. He, he's like, I find delight in them. I am so, de they have purpose in life now. They have joy. They have contentment. And he, he looks at us and it just brings him, gr we bring him great pleasure and delight. He's thrilled with us. And right in the center of all that is a personal relationship. You've heard it said many times, Christianity is not a religion as much as it is a personal relationship with God. There's no other religion in the world that can claim a personal relationship with a holy God. And a personal relationship with God is exactly what my heart and your heart longs for. If there's a void, if there's an emptiness in your life, that's it. I can guarantee it. That is it. A personal relationship with God fills that void. I believe it was last week. Grandson, little Matthias, two years old, is at our house. And we're babysitting one evening, and he's down in the base. Uh, Henry was there, too. And so Henry and Matthias and Marion disappeared to the basement. And there was a lot of, a lot of noise down there. They were having a lot of fun, apparently. And the next day, to Grandma's delight and to Grandpa's, uh, they send the little video clip. Matthias is in his living room surrounded by toys, but he's saying, I want to go to Grandma's house. I want to go to Grandma's house. It's that personal relationship that he delighted in, he found pleasure in, and he wants more of it. And so I trust this morning that each one of us has a personal relationship with God and we want more of it. We delight in it. We find so much in it. But know this, that God also finds great pleasure and delight in your relationship with him. Great pleasure. He, he observes our lives, is involved in our lives, and he just loves every aspect of it. He can't wait to just spend time with us, spend the day with us. He delights in us because we delight in him. That's why he delights in us. 1 John 4.16, beginning of the verse says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us because God is love. So many verses we could look at this morning. I'm going to bring it to a close right there. Uh, so many things we could think about, but 
Why does God love us? He made us. We're made in his image. But then he made us as creatures of choice. And because of the sin of our grandparents in the Garden of Eden, we're living out there on our own. And so he loved us in that condition. He loved us that much that even when we were in that condition, he sent Jesus into this world to give his life. But now, when we make a choice to come back to him, like the father of the prodigal son, he couldn't wait to throw his arms around us and love on us and delight in us and find pleasure in us. He loves us so much. Let's be faithful as we continue to serve him. Let's stand for a closing prayer. And if you have a verse of song, Nate, after that. Lord, I thank you for being with us this morning. And I thank you for most of all this morning as we think about your love for us. It is so amazing. It's so wonderful. And you proved that by sending Jesus to give his life there in Calvary so that we could have and experience eternal life. Thank you so much for the joy that we have in our lives after we find that personal relationship with you, after we make that choice to die to self and to surrender our lives to you. And Lord, it's with great delight that we notice in the scripture that not only do we find delight in you, but you delight in us as your children and you cherish us and you find great pleasure uh, as you observe us living our lives for you. It's our desire, Lord, that we would continue to uh, lead people into your kingdom and that people through our lives would be able to see a reflection of you and to be drawn into your kingdom as well. We pray for unbelievers, Lord, that you would continue to, uh, by your spirit, to bring conviction into their lives. And I just pray that they would turn their lives to you and find the great joy and pleasure and contentment that we as your children have found. And this morning, I just thank you again for the way that you love us and the way you've demonstrated it in the past and the way you continue to demonstrate it each day. We just love you for who you are and for what you are doing for us. In Jesus' name I pray.